we're here in a church today that is filled with people who in many ways are like one another. Most of us sound like each other, although the odd Belfast accent has crept into Connor down through the years. And there's a few of us with that kind of accent. But when we all speak, we sound pretty similar. And sometimes we can begin to think that the followers of Jesus are all the same, that every follower of Jesus is just like us. But I want you to think for a moment about what the Bible tells us it will be like when God gathers His people in Christ to Himself, when those who have been redeemed through the blood of Christ will stand before the Lord in worship. We're given a wonderful glimpse of that in the Scriptures. John, the apostle, was granted a vision of how it would be for God's people as they're united with God. And we read of that in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And this is what John was able to see and hear. He says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And really, the book of Acts is the story of how God fulfills this prophecy, of how the church gets to this point, how the good news of Jesus spreads outwards, and people from all kinds of nations, from all over the earth, come to put their trust in Jesus. Last week, we returned to the book of Acts, and today, we're beginning to look at the next part of this amazing story. And as we do that, let's remember why we're going to spend, God willing, the rest of this year on Sunday afternoons looking at this book together. The first reason is because this book tells the story of a model church. This is a church that we should be like because you'll remember from last time, it was a church that was devoted. We read back in chapter 2, verse 42 in Acts, that these were people who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer they devoted themselves to the most important things. But not only that, they were also zealous. They were really committed to making Jesus known to other people. And that's reflected in the attitude of of Paul himself. When we read of his attitude later in the book, in chapter 20, verse 24, there Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And what is that task? It is the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, sharing the gospel of Jesus with others. And as I said last time, I hope that by studying this model church, it will then change our church, that it will raise the spiritual temperature in this place. 
But there's another good reason to spend time in the book of Acts, and we'll get to see this in the passage that we're looking at today. Acts also shows us the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the people in the church, they needed to be ready to serve the Lord. They had to be devoted and zealous. But all of that zeal and devotion would come to nothing if God was not at work in the church. The Holy Spirit was needed. He had to empower these people in the task of making Jesus known. And in the coming weeks, including the next time when we look at the rest of chapter 13, we'll get to see the obstacles and the opposition that this church faced. There is no way they could overcome these things without God's Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And exactly the same is true of this church, our church in Connor. And that means this is a story that should cause us to seek the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church. That means that ultimately this is a story that should drive us to our knees in prayer to seek God's work, the continuing work of Jesus in His church. If we look back again to what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, remember what He tells the the first disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you want to describe it in this way, the first 11 chapters of this book tell the story of the first part of that happening. It tells about the church in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area. And now we come into the next part of the story. It tells us about the church spreading to the ends of the earth. And all of this begins in a place called Antioch. So let's turn together again to Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 to 5. And Antioch was a city that would be in modern-day Syria. It was up at the top right-hand corner of the Mediterranean Sea, and there was a church there. We've already read about this church back in Acts chapter 11. In fact, the existence of this church is a real testimony to God's sovereignty. It's a church that shows us that our God is powerful enough to use bad things to bring about His good. That's what God can do. So that in the case of this church, what happened was the church in Jerusalem was persecuted. And the people persecuting the church, they believed that they were putting the church down, that they were getting rid of the church of Jesus Christ. But the opposite was happening. As the church was persecuted, Christians were going out to other places, and they were taking the gospel with them. And one of those places was the city of Antioch. And as we read about this church in Antioch, right at the start of chapter 13, it is a church, and this is a story 
that gives us a great encouragement and it gives us a great challenge. Here is the great encouragement of these opening verses of Acts chapter 13. The great encouragement is that we get to see the effectiveness of God's grace. In other words, God's grace really works. It absolutely changes people's lives. Remember that this is the story of the continuing work of Jesus. And we can be so encouraged today as we read of how effective that work was, how God in His grace reached people from all kinds of backgrounds, how His Holy Spirit changed their lives. And we get to see this in the list of names that is mentioned right at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1. Let's look at that list again. Luke tells us in verse 1, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And then he names them Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And I don't know about you, but I suspect that you, like me, when maybe you get to lists of names in the Bible, you kind of just scan through it or just divert past that because you think, oh, I can't understand those names. I can't pronounce those names. And let's face it, there are lots of lists of names in the Bible. We probably can get a bit of a Bible and move on, but the Bible is God's Word to us. And lists of names always appear for a good reason. We have discovered that in church together in the past. Remember, coming up to a Christmas a few years ago, we looked at the big list of names that Matthew's gospel begins with, that genealogy, and we learned so much about who Jesus is and why He came into the world by thinking about those names. And the same applies here. Let's look at those names. In our society today, there are two great buzzwords, diversity and inclusion. In fact, yesterday, when I was watching the coronation, I kept hearing those words, diversity and inclusion. Well, this list of names shows us that God's kingdom includes people from all kinds of backgrounds. Consider the names listed here, beginning with Barnabas, and we have, we have already met with Barnabas in this book. He was a Jewish man. He was originally from Cyprus. His actual name was Joseph, and he had been a leader in the church of Jerusalem. But then the next two names, Simeon called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, they show us that the gospel had no boundaries of race or nation. Now, it would not be right or politically correct today for us to give someone an alternative name because of the color of their skin. We, we all acknowledge that and we recognize that, but in this culture and at this time, that happened. So that when you look at this list here, Simeon called Niger, and that is 
the Latin word for black. That was the name that was given to him because he was black. He was an African man. And then Lucius of Cyrene. Well, Cyrene was in North Africa. It was where Libya is today. So, these were African men who were leaders and teachers in the church. And then the next name is an incredible one, this name, Manian. It's incredible to think that he is a leader and a, and a teacher in the church given his background, because Luke mentions something really important about him. If you look again, Luke tells us that this man, Manian, had grown up in the royal household of the Herods. And we know all about the Herods. We know what the Herods thought of Jesus. One of them had tried to kill him. So, how amazing, and really stop and think about this, how amazing that God in His grace, by the power of His Holy Spirit, saved Manian, who grew up among a family, among a people who had absolutely no time for Jesus. And you know, sometimes we write people off. We think it's not worth sharing the gospel with certain people because of their background or because of their upbringing. But look at what Jesus can do as He continues to work in His church. Indeed, today for some people, maybe this has been your experience. This was your background, that you grew up among people who had absolutely no time for Jesus. And what incredible grace, what a powerful demonstration of the work of God's Holy Spirit that you have been saved. You could be described, to use that old kind of term, a trophy of grace. And perhaps the most surprising name of all to be included in this list is the name of Saul, given his background and all that we know about him. Remember, we looked back in chapter 9 at the conversion of Saul. His life was changed by the power of God's Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. But the thing about Saul, he was not only converted to Christ and then that was it, he grew and he became a respected leader and teacher within the church in Antioch. And it's a great reminder to believers here today that it's not only that you are converted, that you trust in Christ and are saved, as important as that is, you can be changed by God to be used powerfully by Him in His church. Believe that and pursue that under God's guidance and by His grace. When we get to see these men who were in leadership and who had a teaching role in the church in Antioch, and we consider the backgrounds, the diverse backgrounds that they came from, what a brilliant reminder that the gospel is good news for all people. It is good news for us. I ask you, is it good news that you have gladly received? And for you, is this good news that has changed your life? So, that's a great encouragement for us in these verses. But alongside that, 
there is also in these verses a great challenge. And the great challenge is this, to take the gospel to others. In these opening verses, as we consider that, we need to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit yet again. The Holy Spirit is the big character in this book, and here He is appearing in these verses as well. He is absolutely central to the mission of the church, because here's what He does at the beginning of chapter 13. First of all, we get to see that the Holy Spirit guides in verse 2. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit said what this church was to do. And that might be a little bit confusing or strange for us to try and picture or imagine. What was that like? What did that look like or sound like as the Holy Spirit spoke to this church? And there are important things to say about that. It's important to remember that this happened in the days of the, the early church before God's revelation was complete. So, the people in this church, they had their Scriptures, which is our Old Testament, but the New Testament was a work in progress. At this point, it was starting to be written by the gospel writers and people like Paul. So, God's revelation was not yet complete, and so His Spirit spoke to people in this way. Now, this does not need to happen and does not happen in the church today because we are so privileged. We have received and possess the full and complete revelation of God. There is nothing that needs to be added to that, and our guidance comes by the Holy Spirit through the reading of God's Word. And as we look at this point here, the important thing to see is that this guidance that came to the church from the Holy Spirit came while they were in worship and prayer, because fasting mentioned here is always linked to prayer, and it reminds us of the absolute importance of prayer. So, the Holy Spirit guides, but also we get to see that the Holy Spirit sends verse 4, that it is actually the Holy Spirit rather than the church itself that sent Saul and Barnabas on their way, having equipped them to serve the Lord. So, the only way that we can take the gospel to others is with the Holy Spirit's help. But then, when we receive His help, we as individuals and as a church must act. And so, we can learn from the example of this church in Antioch and the approach that it took to mission. What was it that they did that is challenging for us? Well, first of all, they obeyed God's command, and they gave their very best to mission. Look again at verse 2, what the Spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And we know quite a bit about Barnabas and Saul at this stage, and we have hindsight 
in understanding who they are as well. Barnabas was a great encourager. He was someone who had a special gift of bringing people to the Lord and bringing them on in growing in the Lord. And of course, we know that Saul was a great teacher, and he wrote a large portion of the New Testament. So, we can say today that Antioch were giving their very best people over to a work that would happen elsewhere. And that's got to be a big challenge for us here in Connor. You know, we feel we need more people to be engaged in the work of this congregation, and we do. And we're glad to have so many gifted people involved, and we're always delighted to see new people coming to be part of that work too. But I wonder, would we be willing to release our best people to gospel ministry elsewhere? And that's a relevant question. When you look at our denomination and you look at what the future of our denomination looks like, there's going to be a need for church planting. There's going to be a need for church revitalization where smaller congregations are helped by stronger ones. And our presbytery is thinking about that. Would we be willing to release people, gifted people, to go and do that work elsewhere? And indeed, today, in a time when there is a shortage of ministers and a shortage of people serving the Lord in other settings, do you perhaps feel the call of God on your life to do that? So they give their best to mission. And then the other challenging thing is that when those people left Antioch, they then shared the gospel. When Paul and Barnabas were called by the Lord, when they were released and commissioned by the church in Antioch, they wasted no time in taking the message of Jesus to others. Look at verse 5. They go straight to Cyprus, and we're told that when they were in Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And we'll get to see that pattern in the next part of this book, that when the missionaries arrived in a new place, yes, they took the gospel to all people in all places, wherever opportunities arose, but they started in the local synagogue among the Jewish people. Why did they do that? Well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was the outworking of their understanding of God's salvation plan, so that Paul, writing in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, talks about the gospel being the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And he puts it like this, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And they also went straight to the synagogue because they knew that by and large it would be the most accessible place to bring the gospel, that there they would find God-fearing people who would respect Paul as a Jewish teacher. Now, we need to be prepared to bring the gospel to all people, and we're, we're, we're taking steps to do that. But we must not neglect our own people, those 
connected to this congregation who need to be saved. It's a reminder, isn't it, that not everybody who comes to church is in that right relationship with the Lord, and it's a challenge maybe for some here today. Are you saved? Have you looked to Jesus for the forgiveness that is found in Him? How we need the continuing work of Jesus in His church today. And as a church, as we read these verses, we are given a great encouragement. God's grace works. It is effective in people's lives. And we're given a great challenge to be prepared to give of ourselves, to give of our resources, to even give our best people over to the work of the kingdom in other places and be ready to share the gospel with all people in all places in the days that lie ahead. May God give us the strength to live out this calling for His glory and for the sake of Christ. Amen.